Canada. More specifically, Canadian hauntings, haunted places, and cryptids. That's what we're here to learn a little bit more about in this episode of the Bobcast. I had a desire to learn more about the creeps and cryptids that lurk around the neighborhood of my lovely neighbors to the north, so I reached out to two of Canada's finest mavens of the morbid, Gina and Victoria of Haunted History BC. That's BC as in British Columbia, which is Canada's most western province. Gina and Victoria have an extensive knowledge of Canadian creepiness in several different areas and ways, as you will soon see. What's coming up in this episode is an interview with the wonderful women of Haunted History BC, where we'll talk about their history, get their impressions and ideas on the paranormal in general, and we'll hear the story of Haunted History BC's mascot, Onyx the Crow. The stories, though. Gina and Victoria have joined me to tell some very interesting and sometimes very terrifying tales of the specters and spooks that roam around the Canadian countryside, so listener discretion might be advised. There will be a musical interlude in the middle of this episode, and the song is titled Ghost. That song is performed by the paranormally good band Advoca, also known as the Princes of Pennsylvanian Punk. You are listening to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. This is episode number 132 with Gina and Victoria of Haunted History BC. Okay, well, here we go. Well, welcome to the Bobcast. We've got Gina and Victoria of Haunted History BC in this episode. Now, in your words, this is from your Instagram page, kind of on the little about section about Haunted History BC. This is what I'm gathering you're all about. Researching paranormal activity, uh, looking into legends of hauntings and local folklore, while preserving Canada's past and present history. So how did you get to this point? Tell me the kind of origin story of these, you two sisters and how you went from being kids that were kind of interested in ghosts to adults who actually investigate and really, really get into uh, ghostly type of things. For sure, for sure. Well, this is Victoria. Um, and basically, you're right, Bob. It turns out that um, as kids, we always had a fascination for paranormal. Like we were reading stories, we were watching movies, and we just loved it in general. And um, then over the years, it still never died because we were constantly just in that yes. mode of paranormal. We always loved ghost stories. So about maybe three, four years ago, I would say, we started actually making an effort to go to locations, uh, buildings and sites, just specifically that are of heritage and historic value. And we wanted to go out there. And then we're like thinking, oh, well, let's try to look a little bit more deeper into the history side of stuff. And sure enough, we discovered a whole bunch of interesting stories. Either it was urban legends or there were some paranormal stories, ghost stories. And we just got hooked. We started out taking photographs initially. We did. We were doing all our pictures um, primarily on the island, Vancouver Island. That's the southern portion of British Columbia. 
And from there on, we kept visiting that location. We were visiting locations here as well in the lower mainland here in British Columbia. And um, it was kind of cool. And from there, we just kind of like started talking about how can we bring this information people. Yeah, it was during the yeah, pandemic mainly. Exactly. So 2020, we had a trip planned and all of a sudden everything got shut down. So mm -hmm. everybody canceled their plans. We canceled our plans and we were kind of sitting there. I was um, not working at the time. So we kind of thought, well, you know, what do we do with all these pictures and all, you know, we can't go anywhere. And we kind of toyed around with somehow presenting the information. So we mm -hmm. said, okay, well, we're going to do maybe let's do like a 16 month calendar. So we mm -hmm. it started with a, a calendar that we did initially. And we thought, well, people can't travel. So at least we can bring them some information. We can bring them some photographs. We can bring them, bring them some historical information, some haunted information, and we'll put out this calendar. Well, we did not expect that to like really take off. Mm -mm. We thought like, oh, family, friends will get it. It's gonna be on Amazon. <laughs> but all of a sudden people started like asking us to be on podcasts, to, you know, be on shows and I thought, what the heck's going on here? So all of a sudden, it actually blew up into something that we did not plan at all. Wow. Yeah, and seriously, this is like just a, like, I would it say was a, a little hobby. project. It, it was, was like a project yes. and a hobby. And we didn't even think of wanting to be ghost hunters. It, no. wasn't a, it wasn't the goal of being a ghost hunter. It was being a historian and yeah. gathering information. And from there, trying to present it in a unique manner. And then people all of a sudden started, we weren't even on social media at the time. We didn't have Facebook, we didn't have Instagram. I think we were on Twitter. We started Twitter like shortly after that. And then it was about six months later where we went on social media, we went on Instagram and all of a sudden things just sort of took off. And I always had an interest myself in writing. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I, you know, I always wanted to write something that got published or, you know, whatever. But I didn't think I was going to be writing about the paranormal and historical, but <laughs> that's kind of where it led us, like the path led us there. So we just kind of kept going with the flow. And before you know it, yes, we're in the macabre, we're like in the morbid curious, you know, people are reaching out to us saying, hey, do you want to go to this location? We're going to investigate this, so let's come along. And all of a sudden we had this, like we were in the paranormal community. Like one day we woke up and we're like, I guess we're like in this now. So, right. <laughs> you know, so here we are. And like, it's now three years later and you know, it's kind of going strong. So, and it's interesting because Gina's more like the artistic type. She loves to write, but then I'm the more scientific type. I've got a, actually a degree in science, mm -hmm. but I also do a lot of research. So, and then I take the research and relay that to Gina and she makes her magical moments. And yes, and I kind of, you know, useless make it so. interesting and spook <laughs> it up. And we both love to take pictures. Yes. So that's the other strange thing is we take photographs, but we never thought like, anybody would be paying attention to the photographs. So um, in our community here, they actually asked us to have an art show. So we do have an art show planned for April of all the like all the beautiful scenic places yeah. we go. Cause we go to a lot of historical like forests and parks and people love the photos. So they were like, well, let's do an art show. So it's nothing what we thought it would be, but it's been amazing. Wow, <laughs> it really took off into something you weren't Expecting, and I think it's because we're you know it's a unique presentation, and it's a, you know you know people want to know about different parts of the world. So if you don't live here, like you know you mentioned, you almost made it up here, or people haven't come up here. But we have a lot of interesting scenery, we have a lot of interesting history, and hopefully we're also trying to reach a little bit of the younger crowds, like to be interested in history. That's a yes. big big aspect. We work with a lot of museums. We partner with a lot of museums for events. We do a lot of fundraisers. We donate things. So we want to get like younger people and local people, since you can't 
travel too far but there's a lot of interesting things in our own backyard so once you start kind of digging into your own backyard you're going to find that hey there's places to see that you probably haven't seen just because we're always so focused on traveling somewhere else but right. there's a lot of local places to go and there's a lot of exciting and beautiful places so yeah, hopefully we kind of can encourage that a bit too so explore in your own backyard that's fantastic and that's such good advice for anybody that has any inkling of a, an interest in hi- either history or the paranormal because oh, for sure. it's all around us i mean i speaking for myself in san diego you know, it's a incredible place with so much to explore and see and do just from those two perspectives, historically and, and paranormally, too. But and you don't that's one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you is because we don't hear a lot from people uh, about Canadian history, for one thing, in the United States and also about the Canadians that are involved in paranormal investigating and things like right. that. There's not much of a spotlight on Canadians for those two things. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, because even all the shows, they're all American shows, right? Exactly. Kind of thing, right. Like everybody who does tents is down in the States or, you know, but no, yeah. we've had have a lot of groups up here too. So, yeah. Fantastic. Or Great Britain is another area where oh, there are a lot is, of investigators, yeah. a lot of, you know? Yeah. So, but there, there's you know, that's a whole other ball of wax as far as the his, <laughs> they've got history yeah. that goes back. You know, two thousand oh, yeah. years. And we have and- a friend and who's an author, and he goes there too. And you know, there's like you get buildings there like a thousand years old, so that you can't. You know, of course, you know they're going to be haunted. Like, yeah, right. You would think they would almost be a prerequisite in some exactly. ways, right? <laughs> but I mean, and here, you know, in Canada and the United States, we have a very overlooked history, and that is of the indigenous people that have been here yes. for thousands and thousands of years. And that's also, you know, not to diverge on our 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 line here, but that's some of the most interesting and uh, just amazing history and stories that exist yeah, in the world. Yeah, that know? we do include. And in fact, in, you know, when our article in the uh, Feminine Macabre Volume 2 is Supernatural British Columbia, and we do actually talk a lot about Indigenous history because that's a big part of the history of Canada and why, you know, certain places might have an energy because you know that that group of people indigenous people were very connected to the land yes and yes we put buildings on it you know in the 1800s and we were looking back a couple hundred years but really a lot of times you have to look back even further and who was there and you know and what was the land about and you know it's important to acknowledge the land and acknowledge the contribution of indigenous people and so we do actually put that quite a bit into our work you know when we look at things and locations you know what was there before we were there for two, three hundred years back. Sure, you know, sure. That, fantastic. Oh yeah, mythologies and legends that come yeah. from that. The legends that come from yeah. that and their belief system, and you know, there's a lot to be said about you know a spiritual connection to land. So it doesn't just start with our our belief of like oh the paranormal and that's as far as it goes. Well, you know, there's a lot more you know when it comes to nature and other things of being spiritually connected. So it kind of goes hand in hand, and you can't ignore that. So. Very good. Yeah, I love it. Okay, great, great. Okay, uh, I wanted to ask you this. Of those three things that are in, on your kind of uh, the mission statement, let's just say, of Haunted History BC, you know, paranormal activities, hauntings, that kind of thing, folklore, and mm-hmm. history. Rank those things for me, please, from one to three. What's the most important in that that uh, kind of trio of different things. I would have to say history first, because I think to know anything about, let's say there is a haunting or there is a legend, 
how did that come about? So you need to know who was there, what was there, what happened, who were the people there before? And I think that all leads into, if you're saying a place is haunted, well, why would that be? So that kind of gives you a better understanding of why there might be activity. Also the geography falls into the historic part. So you have to know, you know, what where you are. So are you close to water? Because that has a big effect on spiritual and, and you know ghostly activity. So I definitely think for sure the historic part first. So that's where we start with our research. So we don't always research like in depth right away, but we always have an idea of what's what's gone on on the land. Like we like to know a little bit about before we go. So and probably the paranormal and the legends and the folklore probably mm -hmm. would be, I would say, almost equal. Equal, yeah, yeah I would say so. Because they come hand in hand. Sometimes you may have uh, reports of the paranormal, but sometimes people think legends and myths are just, that's it. They're just like something you can just poo-poo and just, you know, think, oh, they're just, you know, silly little stories. But they're not necessarily. They, they may have some sort of historical context they're like why are there legends why are these legends also similar legends you see here but maybe also back overseas similar ones and you know and it might be because there was some documentation whether it's either pictoglyphs or anything or just any kind of stories you never know right? and it's the cultural so, connection too exactly. because you have to see who moved into a location? So, where did they bring those beliefs with them? Did those originate? You know, with yes, something that we some of them they did. So, yeah. you it kind of has that cultural yes. connection too, which is yeah. really very important when you're researching anything historical or paranormal. And for us, the big thing is uh, the preservation part. So, the preservation part is not a whole lot of what people talk about but you know there's people who say oh why are some areas or places more haunted than others and we've kind of said this before it's well it's not that they're more haunted than others but people have recorded that history exactly. so if you live in a place and you think oh there's you know you look around and you think oh there's nothing haunted here but then you start talking to people and there's legends and there's folklore and you know as you start digging deeper mm -hmm. so one of our main goals is to just you know not only preserve that but to share that with other people so yeah. we assure appreciate being you know on your platform of course talking about it and you know the books and things we've been able to you know have our published articles and just to share what the history is the local history so yeah. people know and in various formats too exactly yeah. sure so yeah you're getting you know. the word out you know in a lot of different ways so yeah. that's you great can use all your different mediums you can use like if we like to take pictures if we like to write if we like to be on a podcast so that all is you know great to be able to share that and that's how we and that's how we that's right. I love what you say about preserving the history and the stories and everything, because that's so important to us as humans to have records of all these things that have happened throughout history. I think it's one of the most important things. Well, I think have. too, when you're trying to prove that there's, you know, something after, you know, that there's life after death, or we're all maybe having that same goal when we do the paranormal investigator side, then I think the sharing is important just because if we're trying to say there is something after, then we all have to sort of compile that evidence, if you are going to call it that, you know, and see what other people are finding. Are we finding the same thing across the board? Are we, because it lends more validity to the, to the, you know, investigating part of it. So it's not just, oh, we're just ghost hunting and we're, you know, but if everybody finds the same thing or, or has the similar type of experiences, then you can sort of learn from that too and see what works, what doesn't work. Is it valid? Is it something that we're just kind of, making up or have other people encountered this type of evidence before 
Sure. Uh, compare notes, literally. And, oh, that's, yeah, and sure. that's a very yeah, scientific process in some ways, right? It I doesn't mean, do any good to like hide that stuff and to be territorial about it. Because I think the whole point is we want to see what's out there and to be able to make a good, like to really make a good decision on that. You need to know, you know, what everybody else has found as well, because then we can say, hey, is there is there familiar things that happen to us or is there similar experiences that people have because there are people who don't who keep experiences to themselves too because they're afraid like oh people are going to think i'm think crazy I'm but then you yeah, start yeah. talking to yeah. people and you know people have had encounters with sasquatches ufos ghosts and poltergeists and you know this stuff happens so we just hopefully want to present it in the most authentic way we can and you know gina you mentioned something interesting there um, about connecting with people and sharing information um, one of our other goals too is not to just keep all the information to ourselves, but we also like to invite other ghost hunters or other paranormal researchers or other historians, authors, or writers, we've done, anybody, yeah. anybody who's um, interested. They come with us to sites and locations, and we actually welcome them and invite that. We we're not territorial. We don't, you know, we don't say, okay, this is it. You you stay away. Now we're going to look after all of this. We're going to be doing all the research on our own and hoard it and keep it. No, we we actually would like people to come with us. And we don't care yeah. if you're like a serious ghost hunter or if you just are somebody yeah. who's interested or just an enthusiast. Like if we have friends who say, "Oh, we, I'd love to go on a ghost hunt," well, we go. We hey, come on! Sometimes it's twenty people going to a location, so <laughs> you know it's it's very fun. Is the big thing of it too? People don't talk about that a lot, but you want to be fun. You want to have fun, yeah? Oh, sure. I mean, sure. it's great to 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 be serious and and look at the history and all that but at the end of the day if you're not having fun what you're doing it's kind of not worth it in some ways right (laughs) we want to have we want to have fun with it so we've had some that go sideways and you go and hide people and things happen and you know but oh big deal so you can always go back or you can just have fun with what you've got you still get some good photos and some good experiences but you kind of you know you got to be kind of laid back about it yeah oh that's great i love that attitude that's that's excellent okay so when you're doing a paranormal investigation, there is a number, another member of your team who is not with us today, and yes. that is Bill. That's Gina's husband, Bill, right? He is, yes. I love the fact that this is a kind of a family affair in some ways, too. You got your two, yeah. two sisters yeah. and your husband. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Bill is described on your website as being the resident skeptic of Haunted History BC. Is. So, is he a non, he is. let's put it in, you know, quote unquote, is he a non-believer in some ways? Um, in- I don't think he's a non-believer because he does come with us. He sees that we've gotten some evidence. In some cases we get audio, video, we get things in photographs so that you can't explain. So he acknowledges that you can't explain that. But yeah, mostly he's, you know, when he comes out, he's involved in like the navigation part, planning where, you know, what time we get places, making sure we have equipment and that sort of thing. But also our quality control when we do projects. So we have him like look at things like when we put out a project, we say like, okay, as a person who is out there, who is buying something, what do you think of this item or this, you know, and he'll kind of catch things and, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, I think he sort of, not that he doesn't believe, but he's, he's, He's always uh, holds back that a little bit of, you know, like saying, oh, my God, yeah, that's definitely a ghost or that's definitely a haunting. Like, and I think we all do that to some extent. But I think he keeps us grounded. Oh, yeah. You know, like he he will pose a question and say, but OK, but let's look at this. Could it could it have been this and that? 
So we do take a look, you know, we take a step back and we look at that mm. because he brings that question to mind. So mm. there you go. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, kind of the like, question is, does he bring balance to you as a group in some oh, ways? Sure. And also right. he doesn't spook easily and neither do we, but he doesn't spook easily. <laughs> like you all, that one time he, we all ran out of that room. That was, that was <laughs> unusual, but yes, but that's, that's very true. Oh. But yeah, so but yes, it's it, it definitely good to have somebody who's kind of a little bit, maybe not invested in the investigation part because they're just more, able to observe so he comes with us and he can kind of observe and see you know and also be kind of wary of what's around us like sometimes when you're focused on like oh you're all gathered around that gravestone or in that room you know you're kind of in that room but he sometimes wanders around like he will wander off to a different room or different area of the building or you know different part of the outdoors and you know it just kind of is nice to have somebody who's kind of you know, not really so focused on one or two things that you're trying to achieve, you know, at that very moment. Because he, he, he directs us as well. Yes, Sometimes too. he will see something we might probably have missed. And go, hey, come yeah. over here. Or he finds ah. a, a really a strange little nook or part of a cemetery, like, oh, here's some yeah. strange wind chimes that are hanging For here, sure. so let's yeah, go here. Exactly. But yeah, so it's, it's, you know, kind of a fun effort. And most of the time it's just, you know, we're just happy and excited to go out somewhere and yeah. to go do some fun thing. Great. Okay, good. Yeah, that makes that's quite a team. I think that's that's fantastic. So what is your MO kind of when you do an investigation? What's the process of, you know, say you hear, okay, this place is supposedly haunted. Mm -hmm. How do you go about it? You you said earlier you kind of okay. you you tend to start by researching the area out a little bit and then yeah we, yeah we don't go too in depth cuz you don't want to be also skewed with, you know, what what you know before you go in. So yeah, and then we like to take our time on the outside. You can well, we definitely do. We do uh, scope the area first. Like we try, we get a little bit of information from the historical side, and then we just scope around the area just to get a feel for it. We have very little equipment, by the way. Uh. We, we try not to use too much. Um, Gina and I both agree to the fact that we like to use our natural senses, mm -hmm. just basically what we feel, what we pick up, what we see, what we hear. But uh, we just do our general simple, like our digital recorder we have, yes. obviously. We have our K2 meters. Yeah, REM pods. We the have the handheld pods. stuff. We don't yeah. have any fancy, like, we don't have the setups. Yeah. We do know other people who have those who we yeah. do call if we want, like, a For sure. really in-depth. And they have all yeah. the bells and whistles and all the wingdings and everything that, you know. <laughs> so we do call on them to come with us if they want, you know, if we want something recorded, videoed. We don't have a YouTube channel, any of that stuff. So... We do have people that we can call on if we kind of want something a little bit more in depth. So, yeah. so we definitely take photographs of the outside as well. We take a look just around what we can see and we review our photos as well, just to see if we've captured anything accidentally. So, but yeah, so we do very little equipment. We scope the area and then we focus on areas that might be of interest. Mm -hmm. And it could be anything that might grab our attention or if we have heard stories, legends, myths, anything about that. We, we check it out. Then. A lot of times we get yeah. a pretty good sign. Like we get like a camera that pixelates mm -hmm. or something that's like, you know, if you go to a place, you can sort of feel the energy oh, yeah. of a place right kind away. of right away, yeah. whether it's outside, inside yeah. or yeah. So, and a lot of times we like to visit more than once because you don't always get something on cue. Right. Like, like spirits don't perform for you at that very <laughs> moment. So it's not the haunted mansion at Disneyland you know, every time. Yeah. So. You don't get anything. And then the next time you go, you get something. You're like, okay, well, this is like a lot of activity. So then we, if we get a lot of activity, then we just kind of hang around and, and make sure we linger for, you know, several hours. And we had a few of those experiences. So very, very exciting when that happens. Sometimes you just get 
a really good historical tour and that's fine too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Great. Okay, so yeah, you're not very gadget centric. So I like that. No. I, I appreciate the fact, you know, that you're going in, uh, in a sense, with a lot of your natural instincts, which I think most of us have in some ways. So maybe some people, they may, may be more powerful than others, right? Mm. So that's my next question. Spiritually speaking, it, it, are there things, I mean, is there any kind of spiritual practices involved when you do an investigation? Yes. Depends which locations we go to. Like, for instance, the cemeteries. And uh, we've been in one yesterday as well. But every time you do enter, that is one thing you want to do. We do actually follow through some steps as well to make sure we appease any spirits there. Um, we make sure that certain rituals, like for instance, um, you can bring some coin or something like that. Offerings. To, yes. Offerings, mm. uh, tobacco, um, some sort of, you know, plants, flowers, anything, just to make sure that you come in in peace, that if anything's around, that they realize that you're also there not to harm. Mm -hmm. So we definitely have some rituals like that, especially when you enter cemeteries or any sacred areas. And I think going in a positive mindset too. I think yeah. when you go into a place that you're, you know, you're not aggressive, you know, a lot of times on the shows you see people yelling and, and you know, using like profanity and they're trying to get the spirit to talk. Well, you know, my big thing is I wouldn't talk to like a regular live human like that. So I wouldn't really talk to a spirit like that either. So um, I think when you go in and you're just, you know, you're appreciative and respectful of the place you're entering because it is a place that's historic that pe a lot of times it's people's homes you know these things sure. were people's homes where they lived so you're not going in just you know thinking that you're just barging in there so you know i think that your mindset is very important just to go in positive respectful and see what happens great okay yeah you don't want to go in guns blazing that's not that's no, i don't no, no, i don't no, believe that either our, definitely not our approach for yeah, sure so right. just calm cool and collected and you just see what comes your way yeah. Excellent. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> this is a question I ask everybody that I talk to that's involved in the paranormal, and it's a tough one, okay? And this is for my knowledge, and it was it kind of goes back to what you were saying about compiling information to come to some kind of conclusion at some point, right? Yes. So there are different types of hauntings, obviously. I'm only going to touch on two types with this question, You've got residual hauntings are very common in some cases mm -hmm. and repetitive re residual hauntings, maybe. Yes. Uh, the other thing would be intelligent hauntings. Now, what do you think those two things, as far as those two aspects are of the paranormal, what what is it? What are those made of? The, these, you know, a residual haunting is it just energy left over from someone who's passed and intelligent hauntings? I think, yeah. I think with the um, residual, it is exactly as it's described. So for people who are not in the paranormal world, so residual hauntings are basically described as something like a tape cassette or a video that replays over and over automatically. So it's not a spirit that will interact with you. It's not anything that you can summon. It's just something that happens over and over again and it just i think the energy of some places is so strong that you know those things just have been left behind to replay over and over again for whatever reason whether it's unfinished or history they say a lot of times it's the materials in the building brick buildings and uh, something called stone tape theory that 
you know, the geology around us and the rocks formations can all have the potential of recording energy and sort of oh. keeping it in a loop. Right. So that's kind of an interesting, you know, thing to consider. Where intelligent hauntings, I think a lot of times can be a combination of things. You know, is a spirit just somebody who liked being in a location and maybe they're there. You know, they like to be there, they the like to hang out. Yeah, the attachment. And other times, is it something that's unfinished business that something horrific that happened or something that you know that for some reason they're not at peace and those are two things that you sort of have to look at like is it somebody that wants to move move on which we don't do we don't do the cleansing part um or is it somebody who just enjoyed a place and they're hanging around so sure uh, do you think that there's anything to the fact that it, you know say an, an intelligent haunting may not be the spirit of some a human who's passed that it could be some kind of being from another dimension or, or you know or some kind of you know I, I dread to use the word demon because that's not something that I agree with when people say typically you know it's a demonic spirit well I think it's maybe more misunderstood that, or our perception is you know, I don't want to get into that because yeah. that's a weird yeah. that's a but, big but you know, huge subject you never you know? know though right you never know and it's like the elementals that everyone talks about mm-hmm. too but it's also I think like Gina mentioned earlier that what type of mind frame you have like you're if you have like if you go into an area that maybe you might be you know not feeling well or you already you're maybe you're upset or you know mm-hmm. you might probably pick up on something and you know nothing ever happened to us yet thank goodness but um we do sort of make sure that we do carry certain crystals and mm-hmm. And other little things, things you know, that that, protections, that wards, that type of thing. You know, evil things or or even attachments, not just evil, but just attachments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably one of my greatest fears, to be honest with you. I do yeah. bring a lot with me, a lot of talismans, so that's for sure. Great. <laughs> well, that's too, that's so smart. I think that's wonder. the smartest thing you can do, you know. You have to wonder, too, like when these things happen, is how much of that is like a human manifestation and how you know i don't think we realize like how powerful our mental state is that you know people can manifest things as well so you have to kind of be careful of are you manifesting the negative energy and is it coming in because of you because there's people who say oh i you know moved into a haunted place but then they moved to different buildings and all of a sudden they're still haunted and it's the actual person that has just carries over carries that whether it's negative energy or something that you haven't let go of and it can sort of maybe manifest in a thing that looks like a haunting but it's not really a haunting so yeah it's a it's a very um it's a very interesting topic poltergeist activity poltergeist activity sometimes is linked to actual people themselves and not to the place so Wow, that that is such a big subject. I mean, that's something we could discuss for hours. You know? Oh yeah, no, that's a that's a big that's a big one. It is, it is. Well, great. I'm thank you for your input. I do. I always appreciate uh, any information that I get in that regard because a lot of things that you said line up with a lot of what other investigators say too. So, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. We're going to move from the ghosts and the paranormal for a moment and talk. Well, maybe the paranormal might be involved here a little bit. Tell me about Onyx the Crow. What? The Who Onyx is the Crow? Onyx well, let my sister crow. take this one because the Onyx the Crow hangs out at her house, and and it's she's 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 quite the she's quite the creature. She really is. Um, I think it was about three years ago uh, when we were just doing our research and having fun with all this stuff. Um, 
we were thinking like, oh, we should probably figure out maybe like a logo or brand. And we wanted something to represent a little bit something that's spiritual because um, Gina can probably touch a little bit about that, the symbolism of crows oh, eventually. Crows, yes. But anyway, so we were just thinking out loud and we were talking, we were just having some coffee and chatting about this. And sure enough, I actually have a crow that visits my place. And she comes along on the patio railing, sits there, watches us. So of course she became quite friendly um, yes, I do feed her, you know, and we feed her every day. She gets a name. She gets a name. And we thought, well, it's such a nice, beautiful bird. So we figured like, you know, like an onyx stone, you know, mm -hmm. like a black bird. So we figured, sure, we'll name her onyx. And um, she comes in every day. And I have to say, um, she's here to this day, too. We take photographs of her. She occasionally makes a a little appearance on our social media, you know, depending on what kind of shot I get. We got from. some good crow pictures. Right. So, and crows are like, they have symbolism. They, they can't, often they're feared, but often they have like even the positive side. So there is a symbolism to crows as well. And one of the figure. photos you took was exactly. kind of cool because you kind of morphed it into something. And we thought, oh my gosh, that'd make a really good logo. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden that. we thought, well, let's use the crow as this as the yeah. as the logo for Haunted History BC. So, so I like to call her as my crow. She yeah. is she is my crow. <laughs> She's that a pet that comes and goes. Comes and goes. Go. Yeah, and then we looked at you know just crow symbolism, and yes, it is you know they are considered to be you know mystical creatures that kind of go between that can communicate between worlds, so they can go between the the dead and the living. So we thought, well, that was kind of kind of appropriate because sure. you know, this creature who you know is just very fascinating and if you kind of delve into just crows on a natural level you know like the intelligence of a crow is just unbelievable, unbelievable. And the fact that, yeah. you know their community um communication and the fact that you know how they recognize people's faces and all of that is just you know very very fascinating but just even from a spiritual standpoint even in dreams you know crows usually um are a symbol of death but not maybe literal death but just shedding of the old and you know we thought hey that's kind of what we're doing here we're kind of you know emerging into something new we're shedding our old life like i quit my corporate job and you know to just to focus on a lot of this stuff so a lot of it was just kind of a rebirth of things and you know we thought hey that's the perfect perfect uh, logo and a perfect mascot for us. And we've so. actually rekindled our, basically our childhood interests. Mm -hmm. And we are now doing it this way too, like in a more advanced way. We're, exactly. We're doing calendars, we're doing podcasts, we're, we're writing about it, we've got a website and we're sharing it with the world. Yes, yeah, so a reemergence of something, yeah. so crows can be a shedding of the old and the new coming in. So exactly. yeah, I mean, the, the pandemic's been hard on a lot of people, but for us, it just really allowed, we are so thankful that mm -hmm. it allowed us to kind of embark upon this new venture which we never even thought so was creative we never wow. in a million years thought we would be talking to like multiple people like out there would be even interested in what exactly. we're doing so sure sure fascinating i i love one thing that you said on your website about native american lore and crows mm -hmm. that they're symbolic of wisdom and good fortune they are yes and I never knew well, that very, about them. They're, they're, yeah, they're a good creature all around to have. So we're happy that the one has adopted us. So <laughs> that is wonderful. That is, there's a murder that lives around me. There's probably I don't know twenty, twenty five of them every day. And one of the one of the people down the street feeds them every morning. So I go. Oh, out. Yeah, up here we had a we had a famous crow. His name was Canuck Canuck the Crow. So he was in the Vancouver area. He was right. actually famous. People saw Canuck. 
and he would come around and he would like steal your keys like you if you were at this one gas station and you put your keys on the roof like he would steal keys and trinkets and yeah. people got to know him he was he was quite the famous crow i'm so. gonna have to look that up that's great i know connect connect the crow yeah that's it that's people wonderful him for a while, so we're just kind of hoping that he, it was his natural time to pass and that nobody captured him because he was very very tame, I understand, where he hung around. And they're very territorial. So once yeah. you get a crow in a location, you'll get not only the crow, but the family members, which we're now having. Oh, yes. We're having the family members come around too, so. Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's great. Let me ask you a little bit about cemeteries and the blog post on your website about cemeteries is absolutely beautiful. And I I will definitely direct people to that so they can read it themselves because I was, it really, I read it last night and it completely blew me away. I thought it was one of the best things I've ever read about. It was just amazing. Um, My question to you about cemeteries is this, do you think, if you go to a cemetery and maybe, you know, not even investigating, is there those that reside in that cemetery, the bodies of people that have passed or they're obviously, do you think you'll ever get any kind of messages from people that are in that cemetery kind of directed at you? If, if you're absolutely. Okay. And, and one of our most dramatic stories actually started with going to a haunted location, which was an old house. But then we went to investigate the cemetery where the fellow was buried. It was Captain William Irving, who's a big deal on the, you know, in Canada. 
we went to visit Irving House, but then it led us to the cemetery. And one of the things we zeroed in on was his granddaughter, who was only mentioned in a tour in passing, like because she wrote a book about him. But when we were at the cemetery, we just got sort of the vibe of like we were very welcomed. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we wanted to look into more into her. I mean, he was like the icon, but we right. looked into her history, found out she wrote like a little book about his seafaring days. We tracked down the book um, at a like a secondhand store. So when the book arrived, lo and behold, we open. I opened the book and this is uh, it came to my address. So I looked at it and inside was a letter, a typed letter from the granddaughter that we were investigating to her publisher about this book. It just happened to be stuck inside the book, right. which I completely flipped out. I texted my sister, I took pictures. I'm like, oh my God, this document is in there. It was dated from like 1966 because she had been born like later in years and she was a teacher and wrote this book and, and her publisher in New York, she was saying, well, I'm so glad the book, you know, is doing well in England and in Canada and the US and thank you so much for publishing it. And it's going to, to the print of second edition. And yeah. so the whole ending of the story was we were actually able to donate that document to the New Westminster archives in our local area because it was something we just it discovered. Original. But and it was wow. a piece of history. It was. She signed it. It was yeah. typed. And yeah. so yeah. sometimes exciting. the feelings you get is not like on the ghost box or the EVP or it's a feeling you get that you're going in the right direction and it tells exactly. you to keep going. And for some reason you go down like some strange rabbit hole and that's what happens. And to us, that was like one of the most profound things that has ever happened to us. Certainly, you were guided to that in some respects. We were, it and the thing like, is, this yeah. thing could have been sitting there. Somebody else could have ordered the book, tossed the letter, not even known like there's a significant, you know, uh, importance to it. And so now it's it's preserved forever and ever, which was kind of an amazing thing to be able to do. So, absolutely, we think people communicate with you in different ways, but you have to. That's why equipment sometimes not the way to go. It's right. just your intuition and yeah. where you get guided. So I would say absolutely they do communicate. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Okay, now on maybe a more morbid note, tell me what is a a, a churchyard grim? What is oh, a churchyard grim? This actually kind of turned my stomach a little bit when I was reading about that. So this is where when we kind of research, we also get led down to um, different folklore from different countries. So the churchyard grim kind of originated in uh, the UK. So it's a black dog, a spectral black dog that people see supposedly in graveyards. And he's there. He's spooky looking because he's spectral black shows up at you know ominous times and all that but he's there to really guard the cemetery mm -hmm. and what happened is it you know the story was that whoever got b buried in the churchyard first human wise you had the unfortunate task in your afterlife of protecting that churchyard forever and ever from the devil and bad spirits so you were saddled with that if you were the first <laughs> one buried now, if you know people want to take away from that, so they thought, oh, we don't want a, a human spirit to be burdened with that. So we'll actually bury a live dog oh, in a corner of the cemetery yeah. to kind of be the first one buried so that now it's the dog's duty to kind of make sure the devil, witchcraft and all that doesn't come in. So the churchyard grim kind of originated from that. And so, you know, they also say that if you see him, you know, up in the 
church bell or the tower. If he rings the bell, that's an ominous sign that another death is going to take place. And depending on the demeanor, if priests said that they said if they looked at the churchyard grim, and if his demeanor was you know pleasant and, and somewhat nice, then you were going the, whoever was being buried at the time was going to go to heaven. But if the churchyard grim you know didn't look good and was kind of you know agitated that the the person was going to go person's spirit was going to go to hell. So wow, very interesting folklore. So that also attracts us, like whether or not it's true or you know what people see, but. I mean, the, the fascination of that folklore is amazing. So that is a very fascinating thing about churchyards. We don't have a lot of them in Canada. That's more of a UK thing where right. the actual church had an, their own graveyard. So we have a couple of those up here. Yeah, same here. Same in the yeah in the U.S. Well, there there are a few, but yeah, yeah, much more of a UK fascinating thing, lore. So, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredible story. It is and really we like, and we like the lore from around the world. So um, also right now, we, one of our calendars that we published is right now for 2022 is called Dead Things and kind of a morbid title. But we did address all the different folklore of around the world of like things like crystal skulls. The churchyard grim is in there, uh, doppelgangers, tree well. spirits. So we'll send you one just so you can. Oh, fantastic. Yes, thank so you. you can kind of <laughs> through it. But yeah, we like folklore from around the world. So it's not always just Canadian and BC history. But yeah, if you're into that, so pick up a calendar and it's out there. Excellent. Great, great. OK, now let's get to a couple of stories here before we wrap up the main event so to speak in some ways <laughs> um so tell me you said you might have a story or two about some things that might have happened to you on some interesting paranormal investigations we do, good, we good. do yes the one was in vancouver that was just in the summer right? oh yes yes the police museum okay so i gotta sort of paint the picture sort of a background of this place um so it was in it was actually it's called a vancouver police museum and the building was actually built in 1932 and it actually served as a city's coroner's court mm-hmm. so it is actually the largest museum the police museum in north america and um what intrigued us about this museum is actually obviously the rich history and uh, this museum has actually all sorts of artifacts. They've got collections of objects you would just be, it's, it's a little gory too, because they got skulls and skeletons, but real ones mm-hmm. over there behind display cases. Um, and basically a recreation of an authentic historic displays. They're mm-hmm. basically just, it shows you how it looked during the time when the building was actually functioning. Mm-hmm. So obviously death was a prevalent part of the Vancouver Police Museum. And um, the interesting thing is in addition to the coroner's court, the building was home to an autopsy suite and morgue and a city analyst lab. So everything was in one place. Exactly. So like all the crime solving, the forensics all happened in this building. And it's right. quite the quite the history when you go in. There's a lot of artifacts. It is. And if you think about it, literally thousands of bodies made stops here. So just yes. think about that. So many bodies went through this building. So, Lots of murders. Exactly. Lots and of murder a lot victims. of unsolved murders as well. So that was quite intriguing. And one of the interesting things for us was when we went to the museum, um, the, the Morgan autopsy room actually housed the body of a Hollywood actor, Errol Flynn. At one so point. if anybody doesn't know Errol Flynn, he did pass away in Vancouver around October in 1959. But he was actually quite uh, famous for his swashbuckling movies like back in the 1930s and 40s. So Flynn's postmortem was actually performed on one of the stainless 
steel uh, tables there that we actually saw, and we actually like saw the actual table there. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty exciting. Wow. So yeah. So talk a little bit about your maybe your um, e EVP. Well, your- the EVP was very very interesting because we broke out into groups. We had mm. several people there, and Gina made a great decision of organizing other groups of people to come in. So we had uh, like for- I think an author there. We had a few other ghost hunting people. But what we decided to do is split up and do our own little the research. Different rooms. So um, a friend of mine and I, we were obviously in the autopsy suite. So we walked around there, had my digital recorder on, and he was walking around with a K2 monitor. So he was testing for all the energies to see if anything's there, and it just started to light up. So we were wondering, okay, could there be some sort of devices around? No, we couldn't find anything. No electrical equipment, nothing to trigger the K2 meter, nothing. So we thought, this is pretty interesting. But we walked around, I started doing the recorder, and shortly after I started then reviewing my recording, and we did capture kind of like a exhaling, moaning, breathing sound. That's and there was only the two of us there. Nobody was there, we were very quiet. We just walked around, asked a few questions, trying to see if anybody was probably in the building with us, if anybody wanted to communicate nothing of the sort we we didn't pick up on anything but then when i reviewed the digital recording it was interesting because it was like in two areas it was the exhale and then like uh kind of like a like sort of like a moan at the very end and it sounded like a man it sounded like a male voice but then i had gina and my friend listen to it as well and they both heard the same thing so that was kind of a creepy thing but then the object moving well then we had um a group that came in we gave them the floor they went to the autopsy suite as well we were all gathered around they set up a camera and they put an object on the table and they started communicating with whoever might have been around us and they started saying they started giving them questions are you here can you speak to us are you able to move this object that's on the table So as um, the leader of the group set up his camera, he was a little bit busy looking at something else. See, this is where it comes in, where sometimes you gotta be careful. When you tinker around with equipment too much, you miss the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But lucky he had it on camera. Yes. But we stood there in awe. The thing was starting to slip and move. And it eased down. It didn't just flop over. It didn't just fall over, but just slowly. And we thought, did we just see what we did just see? And we're like, you saw too, you saw too, yeah. So we all agreed. So we put up the object again. We put it up there on the table. We again asked questions. Can you try again to move this object? The object started to move. Three times that And it was on command. Yes. And we got it on camera as well. So that was the exciting part. So we just sat there and we were just in awe. We're like, nobody, we, we, we weren't screaming. We weren't saying anything. We were in awe because it happened on, on cue. So it was, it was probably the most, I would say, exciting thing to see that because you almost felt like somebody was there. Was there, exactly. Yeah, so that was pretty fascinating. And then Gina, mm-hmm. you had your equipment and you were walking around the display cases. Mm-hmm and you have full batteries, fresh batteries. My digital recorder just died. And then the blue. And that's one thing you kind of, you have quite often when you investigate paranormal stuff is your equipment fails. Oh, I know, I know. So that was, yeah, we had to scramble for like new batteries and everything. But yeah, so that was, we had, we did have 
some good activity there. We did. And then we had another fellow who de designs his own spirit boxes. So um, he was out there too and ran a spirit box session as well. And um, we were asking questions again and we were picking up a few voices. And there were only a few that we could pick up. We did we couldn't quite make up the words mm -hmm. but it was it was quite i would say audible it was obvious like, and it's the same voice like it was you, like a male voice yeah. again and again so we ran the session for quite some time and every once in a while there was something like the word help came out or yes mm -hmm. or um something about back or something mm -hmm. there was like i don't know like there were mm -hmm. just sort of random words but we weren't quite sure what it was but we figured well this is definitely we all are hearing it and this is the best part when we had all the groups of people with us mm -hmm. because we all witnessed it at the same time. At the same time, yeah, that's always kind of a good thing. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, that place has a lot of, you know, people hear like running, footsteps, they hear, you know, things in the basement. And so the place has some, definitely other paranormal investigators have done the history behind there. it. There's even some kids that apparently um, they've picked up that they heard like um, wet footsteps, wet running, footsteps which, running around in the hallway. Which I guess in a morgue you would kind of hear because the bodies are being washed and you know, I mean, you know, we see all of that in there and yeah, there's a lot of, that's a very active place. It's very exciting. I have to say, have to say for sure. Yeah, that was it. I would probably would be, that would be my, one of my best experiences because you don't feel like you're just seeing it and witnessing it yourself. There's a group of people who are seeing yes, it. That's always yeah. helpful when there's more, yeah. more than one. Yeah, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of back. You have a lot of back up there to say, oh, we all saw that. That and was the fact wild. That we had it on camera. That was the best part because, see, and that's the thing. Our leader who was there, the leader of the group, he was there and he missed the first episode because but then um, at least saw and, it yeah, the next two so times. Sure. But yeah. And then probably one of our very most exciting things was um, catching our very first EVP. Yes. And for those listening who are not in the paranormal world, it's electronic voice phenomenon that you ca capture on a digi digital recorder. So we were at a place called um, the Britannia Shipyards. And the Britannia, sh Britannia Shipyards are probably about like 40 minutes from where we live. Um, it used to be historically like an old cannery that was set up in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And it has nine buildings along the Fraser River, which is the longest river in BC. So everything's along the Fraser River pretty much. But these nine buildings are like the oldest buildings historically that are sitting there. So we went there and looked around and, you know, did some did some sessions like, you know, we got the EMFs out and the k2s and things and where we noticed um some particular activity was in a section where they used to like repair the ships they used to repair them they used to uh, make ropes and you know a lot of uh chinese workers work there there's a chinese bunkhouse and all those there's several buildings that are really really fascinating but one particular building we stopped and we noticed we were getting some activity on the equipment so we thought well we're just going to ask some questions and you know didn't hear anything we walked around we recorded we didn't think we got anything or too spectacular, but then we got back in the car and as I'm kind of riding in the back, I'm kind of reviewing and listening and sure enough, we got like clear as day, mm -hmm. a voice that said hello as we were asking questions. We didn't hear it to the naked ear, but afterwards mm -hmm. on the recorder, it is so clear and it actually sounded like an Asian man. And it sounded like somebody with an Asian accent that said hello. And and it also sounds sort of like a little echoey, like it's like it's this big warehouse that we were in. So 
it would kind of make sense that it would be sort of echoey in there. And when I listened to the previous recordings, when we weren't even asking questions, we were just walking around talking. At one point we talk and there's a tour guide that comes in, so we ask a couple of questions. We hear the same exact voice on a couple different occasions say hello, like, and each time it gets a little louder and louder, like it's trying to get our attention. So we couldn't believe it. We thought, okay, there's nobody else around. There was nobody else except for the two of us. Bill was wandering like way ahead of us, like somewhere and there was nobody else around. So, I mean, that day we were like so excited. We sat around the dining room and we just kept replaying. We thought, oh my God, this is kind of like the shows, you know, because you you hear it, but there was obviously somebody trying to catch our attention. So we do have plans to go back there because at the time during COVID only two buildings were open. So we want to see all the nine buildings and, and see if there's anything, but it's known to have some activity and right on the water, they always say, we talked about, you know, what sort of, uh, makes paranormal activity more apparent while well, it's being near the water one you know being like ley lines i yeah. talked about you know where you are your geographic area if you're close to water that might have some bearing on whether or not spirits are around more and certainly this is on the water and it's on the historic water so um we definitely want to go visit but that was just our very first edp and that was like two about two years ago it was when we went in 2020 and so that was an ex, like a crazy capture like we thought oh my gosh and you get the little things like that that keep you going you want the next one oh, right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It> doesn't <laughs> always definitely. happen but you hope you get something like that so <laughs> wow that's incredible okay i but to mention something real quick talking about water and geographical locations possibly influencing hauntings and things like that have you ever heard of a town called Eureka Springs, Arkansas? Yes. That's got it all. It's all, the foundation is all limestone and limestone, limestone caverns, yeah. running water everywhere, underground, mm-hmm. above ground, you name it. In the air, it rains all the time, right? And yeah. it's a big railroad junction. So there mm-hmm. is like every possible means of energy moving this way and that way. It's like everywhere in that town has so many stories of so many hauntings. It's really it amazing. It could not place, be haunted. So. Exactly. It, it, it can't not be, right? It's incredible. Some places, I guess, are predisposed to hauntings. Oh, you know? for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I really do think so. So, all right, last thing I'd like to talk to you about are cryptids. They definitely yes. fall within the wheelhouse of the, yes. the uh, yes. haunted history BC wheelhouse, I would say. So tell me yeah. about some, I'd like to hear about some Canadian cryptids. Yeah, because, you know, we have our know classic, about. you know, Sasquatches and stuff, but, yeah. you know. Sasquatch, Wendigo, Wendigo. We, you know, yeah. those are, yeah, those are the typical ones. Yes, mm. for sure. But, um, Ooh, shall we talk about maybe, oh, the lizard man. The lizard Why man. Why don't I talk about the lizard yeah, man? Tell us about the lizard so man. So the lizard man. He's um, one that was uh, in Thetis Lake, and that's in Ontario. Uh, is it? No, that's the one in Vancouver. Vancouver Island. Island. Yeah, Thetis, Thetis Lake. Lake in Vancouver, Vancouver Island. Island. Vancouver Island. Excuse me. We've and talked he's, about he's dubbed as the Canadian. He's lizard the Canadian man. lizard man. So <laughs> yes. So some kids a while back um, said that they, you know, witnessed some accounts. And so in 1972, I think there was a couple of local boys went out. They said they saw this lizard man he's about maybe five feet tall kind of stocky you know came coming you know he came out of the water and believe it or not they said oh he chased us you know we ran he chased us one of them said they got a scratch on the hand Mm -hmm. type of a thing so um 
And because the boys kind of reported something that sounded sincere and, you know, it prompted an actual police investigation. Mm -hmm. So the RCMP got involved. So they went and looked around for this lizard man. Two other men who were fishing said that they also saw what looked like a humanoid come out of the water. They said it looked like it had scales and spikes on the head and stuff like that. So they said that um, their account was, well, it came out of the water, looked around, and then it went back into the water. And then they said, then we ran, type of a thing. So they got freaked out enough that they actually got out of the area. So, you know, there was a little bit of controversy because somebody did come out. One of the boys said, oh, it was just a hoax. We just made it up. It wasn't real. But the other accounts could not be disputed. So there's still a little bit of, you know, the the sightings are there. And so a few days after the sightings, then as people were still digging into where this lizard man came from, a fellow in the area said, oh, well, you know, I had a pet Tegu lizard and it was, you know, my pet and it's and it escaped last year. So could that be it? So, you know, when you look at the Tegu lizard and you see what kind of a species it is. Yeah, it's it, like a South American lizard. South American. Four to five feet They can be like four to five feet long. So, you know, speculation was that, well, maybe this lizard that got out is still out there in the Canadian wilderness. But the problem with that is zoologists said, well, but this thing can only survive because it's a cold-blooded creature. Exactly. It can only survive in the hot weather. Mm-hmm. So a year later, it's very unlikely that this lizard would still be mm-hmm. roaming around. But mm-hmm. people have seen him, like even more um, more recent sightings, people said, oh, I've seen like this big lizard thing eating cat food on the porch. <laughs> then in later in the 2000s, like mid-2000s, later 2000s, um, a group was getting back from a... Um, from a store run and they said yeah we got back to our campsite where our cabin was and everything and we saw this thing that was like as almost like big as a small boat and it looked like a lizard type thing and then when we were approached it like scurried back into the water so we don't know you know we're very we're very curious about this lizard man i mean his story goes on and people do believe that he's that he's out there so And he's just in the Vancouver Island area, so he we have is. to maybe visit that. We lake. might have to see if we can track down lizard <laughs> men, but he's he's, a, he's around. You'd never know. And then Masi, Masi's the other one. Oh, sea oh, serpents! Yeah. We like so, our sea serpents. Yeah, that's right. So he's uh, he's from the Muskrat Lake area, so he's from eastern Canada. Oh yeah, now he's and, the one from Ontario. Yeah, the Ontario province. Yes. So and interestingly, um, no one can really agree what it actually looks like what it could be because um, all folks kind of describe him in various ways like he looks like a walrus or like a big sturgeon sometimes like a three-eyed monster like sort of similar to like a Loch Ness monster mm-hmm. and uh, there are reports of him having legs and sometimes he doesn't sometimes he has a fin so one time like there was a description of him having lots of teeth then there is only one tooth that they described <laughs> so but there was a couple believe it or not that actually they're researchers they patrolled the lake and they brought in their, you know, their equipment. Sonar. And, yeah, sonar equipment. And they did spot something and they did claim to say that they there's something large residing in the lake and it's definitely not a sturgeon. And this was just uh, quite recent, probably in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And according to a local historian, um, reports of such a creature also date back to 1916. Yeah. So, wow. and that goes back to Again, a description of the creature having three ears and three eyes, mm-hmm. two legs, and a big tooth. So we never know about that. But 1916, they even had one described. So people like that. don't know. So what's they out don't. There. They don't. But, yeah, and they're seeing accounts of this. So you can't really discount it. Like some of it's local legend, but I think enough people have seen it historically, mm-hmm. yeah. like pre-internet times, that there's something. 
Well, yeah, and to think that all this keeps cropping up over the years and in different countries as well. Like there's always some sort of cryptid and very similar. And the creepiest one, the Northwest Territories. So the Northwest Territories um, is home to something called the Wahila. So this is like a wolf-like cryptid that resembles kind of a cross between a dog and a bear. You know, people see the Sasquatch sightings, they see like dog men and all that, but the Wahila um, is said to reside up there. And the unique thing about this one is that it likes to uh, decapitate its victims. Oh. So, you know, they, they say that they specifically live in a section called the Nahani Valley. So the, and it's been dubbed actually the area of the headless men because many corpses have been found decapitated not just one not just two a lot of times i mean it was a big place during the gold rush so people just thought mm -hmm. that you know it's just feuding miners they're killing each other and all that but there's been so many people that were reported back into the early 1900s two brothers were found um they thought that they struck it rich in the you know klondike in like the early 1900s they were found a couple of years later both headless then um normally you can kind of you know shuffle that off if it's just one thing but then in 1917 another swiss prospector came out um martin jorgensen he was out there um disappeared again they went looking for him he was found decapitated in his cabin mm -hmm. then in 1945 another miner came out from ontario he came out to the northwest territories wanted to strike it rich thought he would find his bonanza nope they found him in his sleeping bag without a head Exactly. So there is something out there and people see it, see this wolf-like, bear-like thing. And, uh, you know, as many as 44 people, I think counting that we know about, have been decapitated by this mm -hmm. thing. But who knows, you know, um, campers, trappers have gone out there and we still have no idea. Um, but the Valley of the Headless Men, beware. If you're going out there to strike it rich, uh, the Wahila might uh, be around. Might be. Wow, and so the Northwest kind of Territories are highlights. not very populated, right? It's not no, a no. high population area. So this thing's hungry. So that's the other thing. If you're going up there, just beware. It's not, you know, it's waiting for your head. So, <laughs> but yeah, and if people want to read a little bit more, and, uh, you know, Volume 3, Feminine Macabre, we talk about like six or seven Canadian cryptids that we cover the history, the background, folklores, legends, um, hoaxes. It's all part of the... It's all part of it, right? So when you research, history, but, right? but on the flip side, you do get the people who are very authentic, very freaked out, who are not, you know, you can definitely, um, if you delve deep into your research, uh, right. there are people who have seen things yeah. and we can't really dispute what they've seen. So exactly. it's it's there for the record. Wow, amazing, amazing. You know what I love about a lot of cryptid stories that are around North America is when the stories are confirmed by indigenous people that have been talking yeah. about it for like 2,000, 3,000 years, whatever. You know, they have this, there's been a monster in this lake forever, and they wouldn't go fishing in that lake because oh, yeah. of the monster, right? Well, and, and just in our area, about 20 minutes away is a call. Um, my sister lives in Pitt Meadows, and so Pitt Lake is about 20 minutes from here where we frequent quite a bit because there's a lot of Sasquatch sightings. But not only that, but it's always paired with ufo sightings right and we actually got some documentation that was from the rcmp like back um, royal canadian mounted police back in the 60s where people actually use the terminology in this report and it's in our it's in our essay that actually says that they saw something called a sas sasquatch ship or you know a lot of times the people in the cryptid uh 
who specialize in that talk about the Sasquatch and UFOs kind of going hand in hand. Is he, you know, is this creature really a creature or is it, um, is it an alien? Is it from another time period? But there was actual documentation that we found out about the area that's been pretty heavy on the sighting. So we kind of included that too in our, in our paperwork because it's, uh, it's there. Something's there. Wow. And to think it was a police report. Yeah, I mean, it was right. actual police reports and people, you know, spent time because there was multiple sightings. So they right. finally went out there to look to see what was out there. And mm-hmm. and we still don't know. It's said to be like a migration route or, you know. Well, that one in particular and also the Harrison Hot Spring area. Oh, yes, yes. Which is just about what, maybe about like an hour. An hour from, from us. us, yeah. Yeah, so again, in the it's again in British Columbia. It's in the southern portion. And um, Harrison Hot Springs and the Harrison area, Harrison Lake as well, they've had many sightings that go back to centuries. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what is probably making the, probably the more spooky part. Yeah. Is that like it's the same type of descriptions and people are literally scared. They really are freaked out when they see something. And it's funny um, when people have their versions of Sasquatches because it seems like wherever you go, whether it's Canada or you go into the central US yeah. or the southern US, we all have our own type of Sasquatch too. So it's not just like one type. So, you know, they've got their um, monsters that are down there, the swamp ones that are different from the Northern ones. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and people well, like see Florida them. too. With yes. Skunk Florida games, skunk. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Skunk so there's a lot to, you know, we sort of, to me, it kind of makes it valid because it's not like everybody's seeing the same exact thing. You're seeing it, but you're seeing it to, adapted to your own you know your own geographical area which kind of makes you think yeah. there has to be something that it can that it's described as living there only or whatever so yeah we're fascinated Wow. Incredible. Wow, I love it. And, you know, the other thing that's really fascinating to me about the Sasquatch and UFO uh, connection, possible connection, is the smell, right, of the rotten egg smell that so many people claim they see this Everybody big beast. That. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, the, oh, I saw, a you know, a Bigfoot. And, it, oh, it smelled so horribly bad. And then, the, you know, a, a couple years before, somebody had saw a UFO and they smelled that same thing. So you go, wow, what is going on here, you know? Exactly. Well, it's like our Pit Lake area. It's mm-hmm. like you said, it's connected. There's the people are seeing a lot of UFOs around that area. There's also sightings of Sasquatch. So yes. you so, never know, huh? You never know. You never know. Yeah. Have, have you both watched Hellier? Have either of you, have you seen Hellier? No. Oh, you got to watch it. No, got to watch oh, it. Yes. Got to watch it. It, oh. it was on Amazon Prime, I think. It might only be on YouTube now. I don't know. You can find it. It's it's. Okay, um, we'll find it on YouTube. Oh, it's yeah. incredible. Oh my gosh, because it ties all these, the the UFO cryptid paranormal connections that they make. It's just well, recently I watched one that was um, called Killer Alaskan Bigfoot, and there's an area. Oh, I saw that. Where, I didn't watch it, but I saw amazing? it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when they went in there, like that is a whole other ball of wax. Like this thing doesn't seem friendly at all. Like I think mostly most Sasquatches are just you know kind of passive. They're doing their own right. thing, and we come upon them. But this thing was just fascinating. I watched that, and I thought, holy smokes, what is up there? You know, You're right, right. Oh boy, I don't know. I don't know. Portlock. It was Portlock, Alaska. So you know it used to be a community and everything but stuff just started happening so much that you know all the people cleared out eventually because there was like unexplained murders there were just mystical supernatural things happening so i think they're trying to go back there but you know the the weirdness continues wow wow (laughs) wow yeah oh my gosh yeah definitely watch give hellier because that's right up here this is alley absolutely like an amazing series there's uh two 
two seasons of it. And it's all independently made. It's Greg yeah. and wow. Dana Newkirk who, oh, yes. who, who run yes, the yes. Paranormal Museum. Um, oh, yes. And right. then uh, Carl Pfeiffer and what I can't remember the other guy's name, but they're the other two guys that are in it are the ones who invented the Estes method of oh, investigating. Oh, yes, so, yes, yes. Really okay. impressive. Oh, fascinating. Okay, that's a must-see. Must-see. Beautifully made. Yeah. It is the paranormal documentary of the 2020 era. Wow. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I always preach okay. the gospel of Hellier because I stumbled on it, and I go, what is this? There's a big picture of, like, a goblin-looking thing on the the like the screenshot of it or whatever that they use to get you to watch yes. it and I go hell here what is so I started watching I was like oh my god my brain just exploded out of my head <laughs> yeah <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> no, the creatures are fa- equally as fascinating as the ghosts. Because, I mean, there's yeah. been such a consistent report on many. And you know what? When you hear that Sasquatch howl when somebody records that, oh, my goodness. You cannot <sighs> dispute that sound. Because yeah. it is not elk. It is not a wolf. Like, no. what yeah. the heck is that? <laughs> That's just chilling. Like, chilling to the bone. It stuff. is. It's so terrifying. That- terrifying mm-hmm. sounding to me. Like, and I don't know oh, why, if I should be terrified by it or if it's just... That it's so oh, otherworldly, we just ne- very, never heard anything terrifying. like it, you know. So, well, there was a recent uh, YouTube video that went out, and and it came from the Ontario area, yes, of Canada, back east, haunting. And it was just a couple going out for a walk, and it's really remote, woodsy area. They even had their kid with they them, had, as yeah. you can hear the kid little, sort of babbling a bit, and a little big baby there or something. Oh and uh, it was interesting because they were walking around, and they literally captured the howl, the oh, the noise wow. they was making. Oh, I got a man. And note uh, that, it so. is. Yeah, it's. I think if you do a search, it's like Ontario couple record Sasquatch howl or something, yes. or mysterious howl. But Spooky it stuff. is. It, it just brings shivers up your spine. Like it is chilling. Yes. It is chilling when you hear that. <laughs> it is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. You guys. I got well, a lot of great stuff there. to look We're into. For I know. I know. Well, and you know the interesting thing also about a Sasquatch, um, going back to centuries into the you know in the past. Um, the interesting thing with Victoria and the Vancouver Island um, in about 1884, I think 1880s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there it was actually um, that was probably the most earliest sighting that was documented here in British Columbia of a Sasquatch sighting. And um, the article actually described a capture of a half man and a half beast. And that was also on the island there. And he was nicknamed Jacko. Uh, I know, we were, we were reading up on this, I know, and it was interesting because um, it was something between a cross of a, like a gorilla type and resembled a human, but it was covered in like thick, glossy hair. And wow. um, the creature was discovered unconscious and some railway workers found him. And when they, when they tracked him, he ran up the hill and I think they were if I'm not mistaken, but they were throwing rocks at him and they... Well, they tried to corral him right into a section. Yeah, and they threw a rock and hit him and he he was unconscious then. And the interesting thing about that guy was that when they knocked him out, but um, the two days later, the newspaper ran a letter to the editor, like of Victoria. And the editor said he kept hearing stories about this Jacko, but thought it was a hoax until the guys brought in again another story. And so he he was and he was spotted by other groups of people as well who were hunting and fishing. So this editor kept on getting all this information from from Jacko, like getting all these sightings of him. So anyway, so basically he didn't think so much that it was a hoax anymore. And he even written a report, I think, in the newspaper 
about Jacko and the editor wrote something well truth is stranger than fiction and facts are stubborn things so it was, wow. it was interesting but to think that back in the 1800s yeah you know you even see a sighting of something similar like a human and an ape combination so Jacko the famous Jacko story <laughs> there you go